0: After working with, with, um, with like Dan and Joe, and seeing how much passion they have for that cuisine, just and not only Ch- and Chinese cuisine, but just Asian cuisine in general, it kind of like it 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 re- like it kind of ignited something in me that actually you know really wanted to keep doing it.
1: This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. We've heard from many who, against their parents' wishes, began a career in hospitality, all with the opinion, if you do something you love, you'll make a success of it. The success of those truly passionate about what they do is part of the beauty and magic of the offering in the restaurant sector. But how do you balance your passion, success, and make a career in the industry too? Brendan Fong is the executive chef of Moo in Parramatta, New South Wales. Brendan, how are you going? Good, thank you. It's good to have you on the show. You originally weren't going to be a chef and um, you ignored your parents' wishes and went for it. Tell us, tell us about that period of time.
0: Oh, well, it's like uh, back in school, um, I, didn't, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, uh, but I, I kind of had a feeling that I wanted to cook. Like It was, it was always something that I was interested in um and my parents kind of you know didn't really want me to be a chef because you know they saw some some people in our family have like have taken that path and they haven't really you know been successful at it um <clears throat> so they saw that they saw that and they didn't want that for me um uh, and it came to you know be I was in year 12 I was studying and I wanted to drop out this like they told me not to, you know, just study. So I finally found something that I wanted to do, which was, you know, I was very good with like, you know, building stuff and solving problems and doing stuff with my hands. So industrial design was like something that, okay, maybe I can give that a go. So the last three months of school, I kind of just, you know, studied a little bit <laughs> and, uh, and 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 try to aim for that. Um, and then like just, just the whole process of studying was, you know, was just wasn't for me. Um, I'm still not good at it now, to be honest with you, but, you know. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, and then I just, I didn't, I decided I wasn't going to do it, wasn't going to go to uni, um, and then just fell into my parents kind of just gave up and just, like okay, just go work in the kitchen, you know? <laughs> you know, so, and then that's,
1: it's all, that's what happened, I guess we're here. Well, you've built an incredible career since that moment that we can get into, but you're originally from Fiji. Tell, tell us what food was like uh, as a kid in your family and the move to Australia.
0: Yeah, I mean, like my parents uh, are from Fiji. They migrated here. Well, I can't remember. I think it was like over 30, 30 40 years ago um, <clears throat> from Fiji to work in, you know, they, were, they came from Fiji to kind of give us my sister and my my older sister and my brother had a better life. Um, So they moved to Melbourne um, and they were working like seven days a week, constantly like two to three jobs just to try and get by, to kind of, you know, give us what we wanted and what we, you know, like I said, a better life. Um, And in that, that they'd always look after us in terms of food. You know, we never went hungry. Um, And it was like growing up, with Fijian food, it was, you know, very based around coconut milk and, you know, onions and tomatoes and bla- braises and stuff like that, uh, which is, you know, it, it was different to see, to go to other people's houses, you know, your friend's houses and see they're having like steak and stuff. He's like, what's this? <laughs> but it was refreshing, yeah.
1: Tell us about that, um, the first couple of years of your apprenticeship, what was it like in uh, the Kitchens that you worked in. Do you have any stories of that time?
0: Oh, uh, I I remember that my first job was you know the first time I ever stepped into a kitchen on a you know not as being a a kitchen hand or a dishwasher. Um, I it was at Jordan's Seafood in Darling Harbour, um, and they were doing like it was you would you would do close to like eight hundred people a night. Wow. Yeah, uh, you know, and I was on the uh, fish and chip section. <clears throat> It uh, being a first year apprentice, you know, I didn't even know how to fry chips. <laughs> so, yeah, like it was, that was a big eye opener to see. And, you know, to be fair, to go on a big scale like that, I probably stitched myself up a little bit um, at the time. But now that I look at it, um, it it was a, a great eye opener into doing large volume, uh, which kind of, I think kind of helped me settle into Mr. Wong a bit. Um just just being being used to doing those numbers and stuff like that.
1: What was those early days when you were doing your apprenticeship? What was a real key uh restaurant that you worked at that uh, that helped you believe that a chefing was really for you?
0: Uh I think the like the the main eye opener was um going working at Favreau, really. Um just seeing that level um of commitment that the other chefs put in. Um, and the amount of hard work, like I remember we used to, we used to start work like really like about, I was like 10 in the morning. So it wasn't that, that early. Um, but we used to finish at like midnight, but we'd never stop the whole day. Like it would just be you. And we only did dinner service. We never, we only did lunch on Fridays back then. And I just remember ever since, whenever you step in that kitchen at 10, it was just like, you know, full on, like you don't stop. You either either hundred percent or <clears throat> or nothing. Um <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. You're either hundred percent or you or you know, you're sitting down and you don't sit down the whole day. Like it it was just, you know, that I think it was that kind of like, you know, you're exhausted, but that at the end of the night on a Friday night, you go out and you have fun. Or on a Saturday night you go out and you put you know, you'd be a party. So it was that kind of like work hard, play hard thing that was really exciting.
1: That was that was Daryl Felstead's restaurant, which was he came from that incredible alumni from Bank Restaurant, um, and that was uh, his first restaurant by his by himself. What was it like working with him?
0: Uh, it was, I mean, it was it was great. Like you know, just 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 to see the way he thought about food, um, and I, I remember like because I had no experience in that kind of that level, you know, going back back then um and it's just seeing like his his philosophy was like always you know try and think of something different like reimagine reimagining food like i remember doing crab ice cream and i was like who the hell does crab ice cream like what the hell is this but then when you actually try it you're like that's pretty good (laughs) like you know it was and it was it was those kind of flavor combinations that were like um that I, i used to think like how does this guy think of all this stuff you know um, and just, just the, like the the kind of – well, I didn't imagine – it meant to be a kind of creativity that he had. Um, like I remember one dish was like hibiscus with black sesame and scallops and kangaroo, I think. And that was like, you know, like no one would ever pair those ingredients together, but somehow he just made it work and it was, you know, that's what I enjoyed. That's um, why, why I enjoyed working for him because he had those – there's quirky ideas that just kind of, you know, you'd read it on a menu and be like, well, you know, I'm not eating that. But then you'd actually see it on the plate and you and taste it and you're just like, wow.
1: Your career has been filled with all sorts of cuisines and different experiences. Um, tell us about some of them and, and the real integral moments um, and why you headed into the different cuisines.
0: Uh, I think I, I remember my, my head chef, my first ever head chef, um, Roy, in from Jordan's. He was. He would always tell me, like uh, the first thing he ever said to me was, "You know, don't don't stay in one place for too long. Um, broaden, always just always be learning, uh, and to try and like broaden your horizons into different cuisines, you know, because you can't always do. We well, you say you can, but you can't always do the same cuisine for the whole rest of your life. So I kind of took that you know, um, to heart with me. And he was like, you know, he back being a first year, you know, you'd listen to everything he'd say because for one, he was pretty scary. <laughs> and secondly, like he had some re- like now I think, now I look back and think about those words that he told me. They were pretty wise words, you know, to tell somebody, you know, who was an apprentice. Um, but yeah, he he basically just said, you know, you know, just try and learn everything you can from anywhere um, in any cuisine. So I, I took that to heart and, you know, I went, went and did, you know, that modern style with Daryl, um, a little bit of Japanese at Toko, um, back in the day, this is when, you know, Kian Yu was there and, um, it was, you know, it was, uh, that was probably one of the busiest Japanese restaurants I've ever worked in. Um, and then it was, I, I never really like, uh, wanted to do Chinese cuisine, uh, because just because I liked, you know, eating it so much, um, So I thought, you know, I always thought, you know, I'd never do that because I'd probably get sick of it. Uh, But then I ended up at Mr. Wong after working for Jeremy. Um, And then that's kind of just like, you know, broadened the horizon of, you know, Chinese cuisine and how much I actually really like it.
1: You briefly mentioned you worked with uh, Jeremy Strode at Bistrode CBD, um, the late Jeremy Strode. What was it like working with uh, someone that was so adored and respected in the industry? Uh,
0: like To be honest with you, I really loved my time um, working there with him. Um, and he kind of, you know, what he taught me was basically the philosophy of, you know, less is more. Um, it's the less, you know, and it's it's one of the hardest things to do as a chef, you know, to kind of show restraint, you know, Um, and I, he, he was like serving pieces of snapper with rocket and a lemon wedge and some, some amazing olive oil, you know, and to have that confidence to do that, you know, and, and serve that in a a restaurant and I had, you know, his restaurant had a hat constantly, you know, um, and to have that confidence to do that, um, it was amazing to learn and to see that he, he knew his produce, um, and just, yeah, that's pretty much it really.
1: I know you've mentioned Mr Wong quite a few times, but it had quite a massive impact not only on your career but so many lives in Sydney and so many careers as chefs and it's one of the, um, you know, the really big uh, restaurants of Sydney still. Tell us about what it was like working with that team and and creating that amazing restaurant.
0: Uh, Yeah, uh, it was probably one one, of the best experience that I've had, um, you know, after working there with so many great chefs, you know, you got Victor Leong that came from there, um at Yu working under those two. Um <clears throat> was was amazing. You know, those they had so much talent came and still comes from that kitchen. Um and especially working under Dan. Um you know, it's one of one of the best probably places or decisions I've ever made working for those guys. Um and then after, you know, working there and kind of taking out, taking over after Jowett, you know, that's are they're, they're massive shoes to fill, um, you know, cause Jowett's, you know, he's a legend in this, in, in the industry, you know, as well as Dan. Um, so it was, it was quite tough, you know, I learned quite a bit about um, not only myself, but I learned how to, you know, manage teams and, you know, that, that kind of, and to think on a big scale and, to, you know, um, and how to run such a big restaurant like that? It was it was a very big eye opener.
1: As head chef for the first time in such a big important restaurant, what was it like winning the incredible accolades um, that the restaurant received? Uh, it was you know
0: like as because that was my first head chef job. Um, it was um, quite difficult to 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 start uh, just because, like I said before, you know there's. There were massive shoes to fill, Um, and to kind of retain those awards that you know that they they had achieved was it was a good it was a great feeling, Uh, but it was probably one of the most difficult things you know that we've that I've kind of undertaken, but but satisfying to know that you know you
1: can do it. Mr Wong is uh, notorious for having celebrities and high profile guests from all over the world. Do you have any stories of your time there and some experiences of um, those sort of guests dining at the restaurant? <laughs>
0: uh, I remember one night
1: um, sitting,
0: I think it was it was a Friday or Saturday night. <clears throat> and um, I was sitting at the counter after work, just having a chat with one of my sous chefs. And um, what this person walks up and just goes, oh, there's a great meal. Like, you know, the best, best we've had since Hong Kong or in Hong Kong. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I looked at him. I was like, Oh, thanks, man. Like, you know, thank you. For, thank you for the kind words. And I looked and I shook his hand and it was Jean-Claude Van Damme. <laughs> and I was like, I just looked up and I was like, Oh crap. Like, okay. And I shook his hand just like, you know, pretended, you know, Oh yeah. Thank you very much. And then he walked off and then I was just like, okay. Uh, what just happened. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we met like a lot of, a lot of, um, celebrities and we were lucky enough to cook for them, you know, including celebrity chefs like Renee, Redzepi, uh, I think Dave Chang came in,
1: um, <clears throat> yeah. You mentioned that you wanted to veer away from cooking Chinese food cause you didn't want to get sick of it. But at Mr. Wong, you, you were open up to the world and made a real name for yourself. Um, tell us what you love about cooking the cuisine and why that switch changed from steering away to really love cooking it. Uh,
0: I, th- I just think, like, because I was so, like, I don't know why why I actually thought like that when I was younger. I think it was kind of just me being an idiot, really. Um, and then, after, you know, after working with, with, um, with like, Dan and Joe and seeing how much passion they have for that cuisine – um, just, and not only Ch- and Chinese cuisine, but just Asian cuisine in general, um, it kind of like, it, it, it really, like, it kind of ignited something in me that actually, you know, really wanted to keep doing it. And there's so like, and it, you know, everybody thinks that like, Chinese food is just, you know, it's just what you get at your local Chinese shop, you know, like, you know, sweet and porks, all that kind of stuff, but it's so broad and there's so many different areas like cuisines and different flavor profiles, yeah, and even each country is different. Like, you know, you get American Chinese, you get Australian Chinese, it's all different, you know? It's good. It's interesting to see how that one dish varies between different countries. And I think that's why, you know, I kind of just like to stick with it because it's,
1: it's more interesting to me. You ended up leaving uh, Mr. Wong and you headed overseas to London. Uh, tell us about that period of time cuz you were in London when the pandemic started
0: yeah so <clears throat> i moved over to london i think was 3 years ago i think from now um well 4 years now i think um and it was to it was basically i was going over to open my own restaurant <clears throat> with with a um with a business partner and then <clears throat> the first thing i had to do was help open um, his diner concept. And then it kind of just like, it just dragged on after a while. Um, and it will, will, in the stages of planning, like I think it was like two years later, we were in um, stages of planning a restaurant. And then we, it was ready, like the design was ready, everything was ready. And then the pandemic struck. Um, so <clears throat> basically, we just, I just, you know, I was at that point where, you know, I didn't know what was going to go on. Um, So we were planning to move to America and then we couldn't go to America from there. So we just came back Um, right right before
1: London went into lockdown. And I think Australia was already in lockdown then. You came back and had to do mand- mandatory isolation in Sydney. How were you feeling at that time, having sort of lost the opportunity of opening your own restaurant and um, finding yourself back in an environment where restaurants were sort of closing and forced into takeaway?
0: Uh, to be honest, I was, you know, it was a little bit, a little bit gutted because we couldn't we, we couldn't open our restaurant in, in London after you know so so long, you know, planning and and having everything like going over that process of getting everything ready to actually in that excitement you get when you, you know, you're designing and you're picking everything and, you know, and then all of a sudden it just gets stripped away from you. Um, that was, it was a bit upsetting, um, <clears throat> but returning back, we you know, we, we just have to think, you know, it is what it is, you know, we have to think about it in a positive way and, you know, it was lucky that we didn't. Because you know, if I was still there, you know, I would. We would have gone like you know, almost a year with an empty site and would have been burning through money. Uh, so, yeah, as gut as as I was, I've got to look at it from a positive point of view, where we, you know, I actually escaped it. <laughs> yeah, escaped kind of losing that amount of money and <clears throat> and and also like. You know, being in a safe country like Australia was back there. You know, with Australia, you know, we were leading the most safest country back then with the virus. Um, so it was good to be back into somewhere where we're safe, rather than stay in London, where London was really bad.
1: Well, what did what did you do once you first got settled here, and like, how how did you find an income to sustain yourself?
0: Uh, well, basically, I started doing uh, private dinners uh, in people's houses. So we'd, I'd create like a tasting menu, um, or banquet menu, like two different banquet menus. And then, you know, they would pick in, it was all word of mouth. So I never did any, I never advertised it to anybody. Um, and I I think I started it in, was it April, April, May. So I did it in, yeah, I think it was May. So I started that in May and then I would only do it like to, I started my first one and ever since then, those I was booked out every week. Um, So, and that was, that was how I'd find the income to start off with because like, we didn't know how long I actually didn't know how long we were going to be here for because we had this plan. We were going to move, we were moving to New York uh, and then we thought, okay, we come back to Australia. We, you know, we stay for about three months. So that's kind of why I didn't find a job. Well, I didn't actually look for work because I thought, oh, we're not going to be here for that long. So I don't want to commit to anything. I don't want to waste anyone else's time by committing to somebody and then I have to leave. So I started doing private dinners and I actually found that the dinners through one of my friends is like, why don't you do a dinner? Like just come to my house, cook a dinner for my friends. And, you know, and then, you know, we'll go from there. He goes, I'll pay all all the costs and all that stuff. I said, okay, fine, I'll do it. So I did that dinner and then th- that week oh w- my phone was just going crazy because you know people didn't people were scared to go into the city to eat and they wanted that restaurant experience from home so I thought okay let's let's just I said to my wife let's just do this for however long it takes till we have to go um so we went out we bought like all this equipment um like plates chopsticks or that kind of stuff, you know, to, to people's houses. And then we started doing that every week until like, I think it was like two October or oh, maybe
1: before that. How different was it cooking in people's homes compared to working in commercial kitchens?
0: Oh, it's very different because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, every, as you know, everybody's house is different and the size of the kitchen is different. The bench space they have is different. Um, the stove is different even to like the space they leave you in the fridge is different (laughs) (laughs) so so it's you know it has its challenges like and then if you forget something like say for instance you forget a chopping board you know you can't really rely on their stuff because for one i don't like to go through their stuff or to use their equipment even though they're like they welcome you to you know go through it but it's just like you know you're very comfortable with the stuff you have and you know, using your own equipment, it's like, um, you know, when you when you, you, you take you know your same the same notepad everywhere, right? You used to write on that notepad. You take like you forget your drum board using your stuff, you know. So it's like, <clears throat> so working working in people's kitchens is it's very difficult, um, and especially powerpoints. Where we have the luxury in a commercial kitchen for powerpoints, you know, some kitchens I went they only had like one powerpoint.
1: point. Mm, wow. So yeah, it was a bit of a challenge. You mentioned that you did these private dinners until October. What what changed?
0: Uh, I missed, you know, like it it was fun, and you know, it was it was great to meet new people in different in people's houses. Um, But it's 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 not like you don't you miss the stress of a service, you know, of a service where you have a full team behind you. You have, uh, you know, you can see like a restaurant that's full. And that that you know when it gets busy it's it's that you know it's that excitement when when it's busy that's what I missed and it, it it's a different type of stress cooking in someone's house than it is to cooking in a restaurant um, and I missed that that kind of that feeling of a you know a real busy service which is you know you know you don't get that cooking in in someone's house where you know you, you cook a dish you only cook like one or two portions and that's it Like if it's a bank, you know, so you really miss that, that pressure, you know, and which I, 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 you know, I really like that feeling. It sounds weird, but I really like that kind of stress of being under the pump, being busy. And that was what I was lacking.
1: Tell us about Lily Moo. How did, how did that introduction with Ibi and George come about and the creation of this uh, restaurant?
0: Oh, so I was, I was introduced to Ibi through Jad from the picnic. Well, he doesn't have the picnic anymore, but um, he, Jad introduced me to Ibi um, and I Ibi reached out and <clears throat> said, "Oh, can you come in? You know, we'll have a meeting and you know I want to chat to you about some some ideas that we have. Um, so it's like, okay." So I thought, okay, well, I'll just go, you know, because, again, we didn't know how long we are going to be here for and it was going to be con- like I just, you know, and they explained this idea that had, like, there was this development out in Parramatta, Parramatta Square. And they were explaining it. They wanted Asian, you know, and they wanted this, they wanted that. And I was like, okay, cool. It sounds pretty interesting. It sounds pretty exciting. But I, was, I had the thought of, you know, Parramatta, do I really want to work out there? You know, like – um because I still had that old thinking of how Parramatta was. So then I was like, okay, you know what? I'll just, you know, and I kept, I think I, it was, sorry, it wasn't October. It was, I think it was June, June, July. So, and I was still doing private dinners at the time. So I was, I, I was introduced to him in July or June, July, and I was doing private dinners plus going to see Ibi and all that kind of stuff. So, um, we went i went to the meeting with him and he he explained the site and it was like you know it looked great and uh, and he had this idea of what he wanted and then i was just and they they had a they already had a consultant so the consultant that they had um he i think he was in perth so he came back um and he couldn't do it because he was opening his own restaurant Because, you know, as as you know, you can't sit still. You know, you've got to keep moving otherwise. Because in these times, you don't know where your income is going to come from. So then it was like, I was like, okay, no, I won't, you know, I won't do it. I won't do it. I kept saying no. And then I was like, you know what? You know, I'm just going to do it. I'm bored. I'm, I'm, I'm sick of doing these private dinners because, for one, it's a lot of work, private dinners, to try and do it at home. And I didn't have a commercial space to prep any of this stuff in. So, Trying to prep at home is quite difficult, <clears throat> so I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I'll I'll stop the private dinners, and i will just I'll help you do this. Um, and then we had this idea, and then we had this idea of what he wanted. So I was like, okay, tell me what you, you exactly what you want. So then that you know he wanted stuff like, um, yeah, a bit of Japanese, a bit of this, a bit of that. And I was like, okay. I I why why try and be one something from everywhere when we can just identify ourselves as just one thing? And it was like, Okay, what like what do you want to do? So, okay, just let me do a tasting for you and then we'll go from there. So then I I had my sous chef from back if when I was at Mr Wong, he was bus. He was um he wasn't working at the time. So I was like, Okay, what are you doing? So I got a job for you. He's like, okay, okay, I'll do, it, I'll do it. So I was like, okay, you be the head chef, because I didn't know how long like, it was just a consultancy thing for me, you know. I was just gonna work there for a little bit and then that was it. Leave it to Bus and he can take it. <clears throat> so I thought, like, what is like the the easiest way that I can create um, a menu so that bus can after that, after I go, bus can take the torch and run with it. So I thought, okay, well, we both worked at Mr. Wong. My background, my father's background is Chinese. Bus's background is Thai, Cause, and he had a Thai restaurant, well in Haymarket, was, and he closed that. So I thought, okay, how about we combine the two together? Because you know they can work. And then we did this tasting, combining like you know Thai dishes in Chinese and Chinese and Thai. And it wasn't like – it wasn't a fusion where we were just putting it together for the sake of it. You know, we thought about – you know, we, we were taking Chinese dishes and kind of injecting – looking for something that was similar and combining the two. Um, and that's how the style of Lily Move was kind of um, born, really.
1: Do you have any examples of dishes that you created at that time that sort of reflect that? Uh
0: well, it was it was kind of like you know we were taking we were taking dumplings and and like because I always you know dumplings are a seller, so we thought you know instead of like making the you know making it normal prawn mixed dumpling, we turn it we take the the mix make that tom yum flavored, and then serve it with a, a white like a soy dressing, but also add fish sauce to make it taste like Tom Yum soup. So it was kind of like, you know, examples like that, that, you know, kind of work for us. Um, And even, uh, yeah, I guess that was the best example.
1: (laughs) Tell us what it was like pulling this restaurant together in Parramatta. You originally were hesitant about uh, bringing a restaurant of that ilk um, to to Parramatta. What, what, What were some of the challenges? Uh,
0: so basically like the working in Parramatta, I was like, okay, because I live out, you know, of about 40 minutes from Parramatta. So I was like, okay. Um, and I didn't like, I, from what I remember, Parramatta, wasn't like the safest area back then when I, from what I remember. So he was like, okay, just come to the site, just come and see it. Right. I so, said, okay, I'll go out with you. We'll go see it. So when I actually went out and saw it, I was like, okay, and I, it was a new development, and I didn't expect Parramatta to be like that. It was all brand new. It was, it looked, and I didn't even feel like I was, I felt like I was in the city, to be honest with you. So I was like, okay, right, it's got a bit of promise. Uh, the hardest part with, from that day that I decided to do it is we had four months to get the menu ready, to do the plates, plate wear, to buy all the equipment, to find staff, um, to decide, you know, where to actually finish designing the kitchen because the kitchen was half designed and, you know, there were things we couldn't move, things we could move and to try and, you know, so, and we couldn't, we didn't have a menu, like a proper menu. So we couldn't design the kitchen properly (laughs) until we had that menu. Right. Um, So yeah, it was, I mean, the hardest part was um, achieve, like getting, everything ready within the time frame that we did. Um, and it, I think, yeah, it was difficult, but we got there.
1: Well, the restaurant has been a real success since it has opened. What's the response been like from locals? Do you have any um, stories that you can tell us about?
0: Uh, look, to be honest with you, we, we've, it's, 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 uh, sorry. So, To be honest with you, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's been different. Um, you know, we were lucky enough to have, Regulars within the first six weeks of opening, um, and we, these guys were coming back two to three times a week. You know, um, we've had we've got one guest that comes in, you know, every week on the same. You know, she, she they'll come in every every day and they order the same thing, um, and they love it. You know, so it's you know to to have that kind of following so early in the early stages of a restaurant. Um, it was, I, I couldn't even believe it. Like I said, this, this never happens. Um, but I think I think because it was something new that is in that area and people don't have to go to the city for that quality. That's what brought them brought them here. Um, but yeah, like, you know, we're, we were lucky to have that
1: spot following within the first, you know, few months. With that four-month period to create a menu, is there a dish or two that you can tell us about that's um, starred on the menu?
0: Uh, I think everyone, um, kind of loves the duck that we do, uh, which is, it's quite unique. Um, you know, we take, we take the whole duck, um, we take the legs and we, we cut the legs off, just leaving the crown. We debone the, the legs, mince it and make that into like a Lao sausage, which is like, you know, plenty of garlic, glutinous rice. Uh, and salt and then we stuff that underneath the skin of the breast um, almost like how you know when you roast a chicken you put the butter underneath the skin um, and then we hang that we we hang it in, to dry in the cool room like where a fan is for about two days and then we roast it like a Chinese style duck so it comes out golden and then, then we slice that finely and put it on a plate with the some sauce, which we, you know, it's, it's kind of similar to the duck sauce that you get when, you know, when you go to the barbecue, you have a local barbecue, your Chinese barbecue that you eat rice. It's similar to that sauce, but when we just kind of inject more Southeast Asian flavor with kaffir lime, um, lemongrass, coconut palm sugar, and stuff like that.
1: You mentioned you originally took the gig just as a short-term consultancy gig, and yet Uh, you're still there as executive chef Well, what, what kept you there and what do you love about the restaurant?
0: Uh, I just, I like that kind of creativity that we have, you know, it's this, it's, it's something new that I've never done before. Um, And trying to learn Thai cuisine, it's it's quite difficult because, you know, I'm I'm not versed in, I'm not the greatest um, in knowledge. I don't have the greatest knowledge in Thai food. So Buzz teaches me a lot about that. Um, But, you know, and it's also the the people. You know, the, the team that I have, we've got a great team, um, and they're really loyal, uh, and they're hardworking, um, and and also like you know, people like you and George, they're great to work with uh, because they're they're personable, and you know, they we chat, you know, we can have a chat, and it's not like you know, you don't feel like you can't approach anybody there, um, but yeah, I think it's mainly the people. That that kind of makes me stay there.
1: You're currently experiencing another lockdown in Sydney. Um, what's what's this period of time been like for you? You're in London. You're meant to go to New York. You ended up in Sydney, and now you have an amazing restaurant, but you're in lockdown. What sort of impact has it had on you?
0: Um, look, it's the first week was great because uh, you know I was like, okay, I get a bit of a break. You know, we had to take take a step back and have a bit of a rest. The team gets rest. So we're all happy, you know, like we didn't think of it as being so bad. Um, now that it's dragged on, you know, because for so long it's, you know, it's, it's a bit frustrating, but I'm just trying, it is what it is. I'm just trying to, to kind of see the positive note from it. Like, um, it's giving me time to reflect on how I can improve the menu. Um, how I can improve the service, how I can improve, um, you know, the the flow of the kitchen and how, you know, so that it makes it easier for the team, the guys, uh, makes it easier for the chefs, I should, I should say. Uh, so it's given me a lot of time to reflect and to be able to kind of improve the business uh, and operationally before I go back. Um, but, yeah, I think that's, that's the kind of – It's the only way that I can kind of look at it and kind of move through this lockdown without kind of going insane or being bored, (laughs) you know?
1: Ibby and George have been building quite an amazing stable of restaurants in their their group, including Lily Moo. Uh, Is there plans in the future to um, create more of what you're offering in other locations?
0: I... I I don't know if I can say that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, you know, there is plans to kind of, you know, bring Lily Moo closer to the city. Um, but, you know, we'll have to tell, time we'll have to tell. We can't say just yet.
1: Well, Brendan, that is an intriguing answer. And it's great to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear your story. Um, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon.
0: Will do. Thanks for having me, man.
1: This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in podcast, or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.